Amen. Thank you for praying with me tonight. If you have a Bible, would you open up to Romans chapter 1 this evening? We uh, did an introduction to Romans last week. Uh, we covered the first 17 verses. We'll pick back up in verse 16 and cover down through verse 25. Uh, this is probably going to be um, a little bit uh, uh, more of an educational message and not maybe not so much an inspirational message. Um, I, I like to do both, inspire and educate, but of course, we need to be good students of the Bible. Uh, some messages leave us more excited, more comforted, more enlightened. Um, I, I believe this one will do that, but I believe more than anything tonight we're going to learn some things about uh, just about the nature of salvation, the nature of what it means to uh, need to be saved and what it means to be saved. And, and, and that's really going to be the bulk of the first few chapters of Romans. Uh, chapters 1 through 3, there's a lot of theology, and, and theology just means study of God or study of the things of God. There's a lot of theology, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of uh, really technical or you know, uh, educational terms and things that you've heard or you've read maybe in a Sunday school book or in a uh, commentary. You don't talk a lot about at church, and, and that's why probably a, a lot of the Romans Bible studies are more in chapters 4, 5, 6, and so forth. The first three chapters are great, uh, uh, but again, there are a lot of information that helps us understand uh, how we get saved, why we need to be saved, and all the things in between. So I hope that you'll, uh, I hope that you'll enjoy our conversation around God's Word tonight. Uh, the, the, first few, the, the whole book of Romans is so important, um, it, and I, I really mean this. I've taken a lot of Bible classes. Uh, I've set under a lot of uh, great teachers, uh, not so great teachers in terms of what they believe, but I, I've sat I've under a lot of great, smart, uh, very, very wise people with uh, Bible uh, knowledge, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, I've heard um, many, many you know, uh, sermons on the book of Romans, set under many teachers uh, teaching through the book of Romans, and I really believe this, that uh, if you go through the book of Romans, you will gain as much information as most people gain in some of the highest level uh, of, of college, seminary, Bible classes when it comes to learning theology, learning what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved, and all the technical terms about salvation. If you go through a, a Romans Bible study and you sincerely study each and every verse, each and every page, you um, will gain as much insight as some people um, who are deep in their education um, in the academic world. And I really mean that. And uh, as somebody who has studied the Bible both academically and, of course, uh, devotionally, um, the book of Romans is so important and it's so vital uh, and it brings us so much information and so much clarity uh, regarding what it means to be a Christian and how we can live our, our best life as a Christian. But also what Romans does is it makes us aware of what life is like for those who are not Christians or what the condition of our hearts is apart from Jesus. And that's going to be a lot of tonight's conversation uh, about uh, as it begins to talk about what it means to, to be apart from Jesus and what it means to be in sin. So we'll be talking about those sorts of things as we get into our message deeper uh, tonight. Uh, but to kind of build up from last week and, and, and get us uh, positioned into tonight's text, um, our first week, our first study of Romans, we established a few key themes. And the title of this Bible study is going to be called Crossroads because we one of the our anchor point that we made last week is that the book of Romans is the great intersection or it is this crossroads of scripture uh, that it's really where the Old Testament uh, promises meet the New Testament possibility uh, what was prophesied in the Old Testament um, meets the reality of the New Testament what was once hoped for in the old is made possible in the new and Romans looks back at the Old Testament 
Testament and says, this is what was predicted, this is what was prophesied, this is what was promised, and then it looks at the gospel and it says, now we can live the life that the ancients longed for, that Jesus talked about being possible. Now in this post-resurrection world, this is a reality for us. So again, Romans is this crossroads for the entire Bible. Paul quotes all the Old Testament books you can think of from Genesis to Malachi as he brings us this understanding that this is what the whole council of scripture has been leading up to that God has been building up to this moment where he would build a church on the foundation of the old testament but made possible by the new testament or the new covenant that was of course uh, uh you know made official in the blood of Jesus Christ so we're going to see a lot of old testament referenced throughout the book of Romans, and we see Paul kind of reach into the Gospels and say, this is what this means for us. So in the prologue, in that first couple of verses, Paul talks about the Old Testament promises. He extols Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, and he moves forward by following the prescription of salvation that Jesus has given us. And he's going to do that a lot throughout Romans. He's going to repeat himself, but he's always going to bring something new up when he does so. Uh, and and a, we, we kind of... Um, ended our conversation last week around verse 16, which is that one, one of the most memorable verses in the book and in the whole Bible. Uh, Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. So Paul punctuates what kind of revelation he is offering to everyone who hears and reads this book. And he says to us that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And, and this summarizes, this, this statement summarizes uh, both the Old and New Testament in such a powerful, pun intended, such a powerful way. How does God choose to make his power known and exercise his power? Think about God as a mighty, you know, all-powerful being. How does God choose to make his power known? How does God choose to exercise his power? He does so by saving people. Now, God does a lot of things as the creator, as the controller of the universe. But Paul says the greatest picture of God's power is his desire and his ability to save us. Uh, Paul will go on into detail that this is God's quintessential play. It's his delight and his defining feature. Now, when you think of the mighty uh, nature of God, you might think of God using his power to create, God using his power to conquer, God using his power even to judge wickedness. While God's power is seen in all those things, there is no greater proof of his power than his desire and his ability to save us. As this is, in fact, what the Bible has long looked forward to and, and what has long been predicted in the Old Testament. A couple examples uh, of God basically saying to his people, this is how I am most expressed, or this is how I am most displayed. This is his promise to Jacob back in Genesis 28. Behold, I am with you, and, you will, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. If you read the Old Testament, you hear this kind of 
promise from God a lot, or you hear this kind of statement from God a lot, I will bring you back, I will not leave you, and I will fulfill my purpose in you and for you. God says to Jacob, Jacob, I'm about to show you just who I am. And the most clear expression of myself, the most clear demonstration of my power is my ability to keep you in the palm of my hand. You understand how personal that is, but also we think of God as being this mighty, you know, awesome, larger than the universe being, and yet God expresses his power by keeping us. Isn't that amazing? God told the people at the Red Sea, or Moses said to the people at the Red Sea, let's go back to the Exodus scripture. This hit the back arrow. Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. So what is that, what is that promise from God? As they stood at the Red Sea, God or Moses told the people on behalf of God, You are about to see the power of God. And how did he display his power? By saving them with their backs against the wall. Likewise, Later on in 2 Chronicles 20, when the people of Israel faced a battle against three armies, the prophet Jehaziel said, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Notice that clause, on your behalf. So how is God's power most displayed in his desire, in his ability to save his people? God is in the business of redeeming, restoring, and reconciling people to him. You think, well, what is, people want to know, you know, what is God up to? You know what God is up to? All the time, he's in the business of reconciling people to himself. That means he allows things that gets us in that position. He is orchestrating events. If you want to know what is God up to, you know, a lot of times people interpret the events of the world through how they understand God or how they think God's priorities are, right? People will say, well, God's doing that because he's judging them or God's doing that because he's trying to, you know, trying to speed up these events. We understand that God orchestrates every event and he is involved in all of creation with this thing in mind to redeem and reconcile and restore those that are far from him. That is what God is orchestrating all things to the end of. Now, last week, we talked about how this was the longing of every heart to see the power of God at work in our lives. Our desire is to obtain his favor, to possess his blessing. And all throughout history, uh, humanity has sought after and chased after the blessing from God uh, and, and the pagans from, from the gods. Uh, they never could take hold of it, and they never could commoditize it and make it available to others. And it's the efforts of the ancient people, including Israel, um, as they tried to figure out God and tried to figure out how to access him and obtain his blessing. That's where religion came from. But religion always would come up with some convoluted way to get close to God's presence, but never make it permanent. And it was never really successful. It was always just superficial and just kind of a, you know, a presentational thing. But that's where Romans brings the gospel to us, which is the good news. Which The good news is what we cannot obtain, what we could not obtain has been provided, what we could not earn has been given. I hope that you'll ingrain that statement in your heart because there's still a lot of people that go to church every Sunday and that love Jesus that still somehow think they had to earn it or they had to find it on their own. 
A lot of Christians who have been in church all their life and were saved like by the grace of God like all of us are somehow someway stumble to this place where they think salvation is obtained through human effort or earned through human merit. But it is not. It is not obtained by our efforts. It's provided by God's work. It is not earned by human merit. It is given by God's grace. Romans' goal for us as recipients of this gift is is how can we come into personal possession of this gift? That just because it's put in front of us doesn't mean it's applied to us. Just because it's sat down in front of us doesn't mean we're going to get it like we should get it. Right? I can't make you receive it. I can't pray over you or anoint you with it. And I'm not denigrating some churches that teach that. That's just not true. It has to be personally obtained or accepted, received, believed in. And the goal of Romans is, this is God's gift to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You don't have to work for it. It's given to you. But you have to unwrap it and unlock its full potential. And that's what verse 17 tells us. For in it, the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It is given to us. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So how are we justified? How are we reconciled to God? How are we made right with God? By faith. By faith. Now, Romans 1 tells us that God has been preparing for salvation for ages and saw to it personally to accomplish it. And in exchange, Paul tells us we simply have to put our faith in God. Now, this, let me make this distinction. This is not believing that God exists. This is not believing in, uh, you know, believing that God is or that God does a certain thing or God is in control. This is trusting in. You know, do you see the difference? This is not, well, I believe that he is there. I believe that that is true. This is, I'm trusting in what he has done. It's putting faith in. In exchange, Paul says, we have to put our faith in God. We have to trust God to give us what we cannot get for ourselves and trust God over and against everything else because our nature is to doubt. Our nature is to put our faith in other things. By faith, we have to and are called to and the gospel really you know beckons us to put our faith in Jesus or put our weight on God and that's all God's ever wanted from any of us all God has ever wanted from any of us is that we would put our weight on him because it is human nature to think well I've got two good legs and, you know, in our today and age, if you can't stand on your own, we can find a way to get you to stand up. We can get you to prop up on something. We can make prosthetics. We can put you in a chair. There's plenty of ways for us to convince ourselves that we can stand up on our own. And we all want to be independent. I know that, right? But that independent nature will bend us in the wrong direction if we are not careful. All God has ever wanted from any of you is that you would put all of your weight on him for us to be creatures and him to be creator, for us to be little and him to be big, for us to be humble and him to be the one that raises us up. But we're going to talk about tonight that it is, in, it is not in our nature to do this. You see, this statement, all God has ever wanted is for you to put your weight on him. This statement exposes that nature in us that says, I don't want to do that. 
We find ourselves in desperate need for salvation because our nature is to do the exact opposite of this. Our nature is to do the exact opposite of put our weight on him, to be little before him, to be humble before him. That's what puts us in a place of needing to be reconciled to God and what results in us being far from where God intended us to be, which is far from him. And that brings us to the other kind of crossroads. We're going to talk about this word crossroads a lot throughout the book of Romans because it is an intersection of so many things. And the other kind of crossroads that we come to in the book of Romans, not only is Romans this crossroads of Old and New Testament prophecy and promise and possibility, not only is Romans a crossroad intersection of what uh, was hoped for and can be realized, Romans is a crossroads for humanity, you and me, to choose salvation or remain in condemnation. To receive God's power of reconciliation or remain powerless in sin. To be made right with God or remain far from God. Romans pushes the chips in front of you and says, this is, this, this is the condition you're in. This is what God's made available. But you're at a crossroads. If you stay where you're at, you will remain in condemnation and you will remain far from God. But if you put your faith in this promise, you can be made right with God. And that's a pretty, pretty crucial crossroads, don't you think? The remaining part of Romans 1 and the couple chapters that follow are focusing on the condition of mankind apart from God's provision. These chapters may just confirm that you, what you already know about yourself. Um, they may reveal to you that, uh, more about yourself than you wish were true, but deep down, no is true. Either way, they reveal that we are indeed at a crossroads with God or with God's truth revealed to us. We are indeed at a crossroads of God's right plan and our wrong path. They trace back for us exactly where humanity went wrong and why we need to be reconciled to God. So I want to read verses 16, 17 with verse 18 because I want, to hear, I want you to hear these verses in succession of each other. And I want you to hear verse 18 after you've heard the gospel and the promise. And then you'll notice there's a abrupt transition. It's almost like you're going down a highway and all of a sudden, wow, the road's going to turn completely the other way. So hear these verses in, in, in succession. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, or that by faith we receive it. It is as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then Paul doesn't stop. I know your Bibles have a gap there or a heading there, but he wants you to hear verse 18 right after you hear verse 17. So in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So notice... We're headed down a highway, man, this is good, I love the good news, but all of a sudden, the mercy brake is pulled and your car has turned the other way. But this is Paul's way of saying, are you curious as to why you need to be saved? Are you curious as to why you need to put your weight in, on Christ? Are you wondering why there is a message of salvation and, 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 and putting your faith in God? Well, this is why. 
Paul asserts that the gospel is God's choice for us, God's power available to us, that by trusting in him, we activate his power, we awaken his grace, and we gain something. We gain something that we are otherwise lacking. Do you follow me there? That we would not need this if we were not lacking something very crucial. And that is that apart from Christ, we lack a right standing with God. We lack peace with God. We lack the purity of God. We lack power from God. And, and think, of it, think of the last one as in when something's not plugged into the outlet, there is no power flow. We lack peace, purity, and power. The short way of describing our condition apart from Jesus is that we are not right with God. Now, when you say something is not right, you're saying that the condition is less than ideal, right? If, well, that the integrity of that building is not right, something's leaning, something's off balance, or the car isn't running right, or the oven isn't running right, or my leg doesn't feel right, right? We use that statement to imply something is not as it should be. Things are not operating at optimum potential because something is not right. That's a diagnosis, right? You would go to the doctor and you would say, Doctor, something's not right with my heart or my lungs or my this or that. So what Paul is trying to get us to understand here is we are empty of these virtues that stem from God. Our peace with God is fractured as in there is none. Our purity is polluted as in we are not pure, we are impure. Power is frustrated because there is no connection. Think about how important it is for anything to be right. If something isn't operating right, condition less than right, then the capacity, reaching capacity is impossible. Now, consider what it means for our species. Now, think about this in, in, in the most you know, basic way. Our species, the human race, consider what it, is, what it means for our species created by God, made in his image, yet something about our connection to God is off. You would imagine the implications of that would be pretty significant, wouldn't you? Now, it would be one thing if we were just a creature made by God amidst a group of other creatures made by him but not made in his image. But when you factor in that there are billions of us humans. There are billions of us at the same time occupying the same space, thousands, millions, and billions of creatures all inclined to go in the wrong direction. Suddenly, this is not something that isn't, that is just unfortunate. This is something that is truly devastating, that has the potential to cripple everything. Because when humans aren't right with God, when we aren't at peace with God, when we fester in our impurity, we lack any divine compass to empower us toward what is good and right, we are capable of truly vile and ungodly things. This is why we need to be saved. We need to be saved because we are not right with God. This is not just some mild, less than ideal state. We are in an unrighteous state. Unrighteous means that we have a disposition. We are predisposed against everything God stands for and embodies. God is for 
life. He is for peace. He is for purity. He is for power, as in he is for things operating as they were created to be. But we, in our unrighteous, sinful nature, we are not right with God, so we are unrighteous. We are, therefore, ungodly. And that's what this next passage of Romans is about. And in verse 18, we're introduced to something new, or something new to the text, the wrath of God. The wrath of God is the anger of God. The anger of God against that which is destroying creation. Now let me explain this. God possesses an impersonal wrath towards and against all sin. Now what what I mean by impersonal is God does not just have it out for you because you made him mad. You didn't make him mad. You broke his heart. God is not just mad at certain people who do certain things. He has a righteous, holy, impersonal, as in it's not about individuals who've done it. It's about all of us collectively because of what sin has done to creatures in creation. God's wrath burns against sin. And in our unrighteousness, we deserve this wrath. Now, this is where a lot of people say I'm out. I can see that God's angry at sin, but why is he angry at sinners? Or why is God's wrath towards sinners? But we have to come to this place of agreeing or accepting this, or we'll never get the blessing of it. In our unrighteousness, we deserve this wrath. You know why? We embrace all the things that put us at odds with God. You may have not woke up and decided to be at odds with God. It's worse than that. You were born with that predisposition. And it's not fair. But fairness went out in the garden. When they sinned, there was no more fair. But God is not just in heaven saying, well, hey, what's fair is fair because what was the most unfair thing was when Jesus came and died on the cross in our sin. So Romans is not a book of this is fair, accept it. Romans is a book of nothing is as it should be. Nothing is fair. And the most unfair thing happened to the only holy and wise one who died in our place. But you see, in our unrighteousness, we deserve this wrath because we've embraced all the things that put us at odds with God. And that's what's keeping us unright with or not right with God. And that's why we need to be supernaturally saved. Does that make sense? Now, now I want you to listen to these next few verses as they capture the heart of the fall of what happened to Adam and Eve and what is the perpetual state of everybody since then. And we're almost done, so hopefully we're not getting too into the weeds. Verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, who is he talking about? Paul is talking about humanity as a species. He's he's not talking about you individually. He's talking about all of us. And he's talking about kind of the progression of humanity throughout time. That Adam and Eve made this decision for us. And again, hey, that's not fair. But again, we get saved through an unfair way as well. So it works out. We are all sinners because of what the first two people did. But we as a collective species have repeated this again and again and again. But the first and the greatest offense 
is that our unrighteousness has deceived us into thinking that we are autonomous and omnipotent. Autonomous means I don't answer to anybody but me. Auto means me. Autonomous means in myself. <laughs> you've, heard the same, me, you've heard the statement, me, myself, and I, right? Autonomous means I run my life and no one else does. Thank you very much. Omnipotent means, means all-powerful. So unrighteousness, here's the thing that unrighteousness does to all of you, and if you ever feel like this is going on, if you feel like you are autonomous or omnipotent, it's because you're unrighteous. So don't, don't, don't let that disconnection happen because you'll forget that that's a sinful thing. You'll think, oh, it's just a stubborn thing. It's not a stubborn thing. Or you'll think, well, I'm smarter than them. They don't realize it. No, you might be smarter than them, but this isn't part of it. Our unrighteousness deceives us into thinking that we are autonomous and that we are omnipotent. And that makes us without accountability and it makes us think we are without weakness. That's what got Adam and Eve into this mess. That's what got us into this mess. When the serpent said, you shall not surely die, God's trying to hold you back. God's trying to keep something from you. They went and did what God said not to do. And of course, they realized he wasn't keeping anything from them that was good for them. He was keeping something that was bad from them and bad from us. When they removed themselves from under God's authority, they believed themselves to be equal or greater than God's power, equal to or greater than God's power. So what Paul is telling us in Romans is that there is absolutely no ground or basis for this line of thinking at all. If you ever think you are not accountable to somebody higher than you, that is this unrighteous nature trying to deceive you. If you ever think, I don't have a weakness, I'm not weak, I don't need any help, I don't need somebody to help me get in the right place, that is this unrighteous nature trying to deceive you. And that is the perpetual mistake that humanity makes again and again and again. You see, here's what happens. It's like a, a machine with all kinds of cogs and wheels and gears. We're just one of those. But somehow in our deception and somehow in our righteousness, even though it takes all those other gears and all those other cogs moving for all the things around us to happen and move in life, we think because our gear is turning that we must be controlling all of them. See, if you look at that picture and if that picture was in motion, if you looked at all those gears turning, you couldn't tell which one was really making them all work. But in our unrighteousness, we think, well, of course I'm the one that's making it all turn. Of course I'm the reason why all the gears and the cogs and the wheels are turning. Of course I don't need someone to tell me what to do. I don't need someone to hold me accountable. I don't need someone to help me. I am just fine on my own. You see how important it is for us to humbly come to God and repent of our nature and ask for him to restore us? Because haven't you all been there where you think you're the cog that's making them all work? When you look at an infrastructure like this, it's obvious that there's no single cog that has control over the entire process, that there's something bigger setting it in motion. But when we fail to see that and confess that, we fall and we fall and we fall again. And that's what Paul describes in Romans 1.21. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolishness. Their foolish hearts were darkened. This is the mistake that humanity has made again and again and again. We ignore the signs, we ignore the proofs, and we embrace the delusion. 
And if we fail to recognize this about ourselves, we are doomed to repeat this cycle and remain unrighteous and be deservingly condemned. Verse 22 and 23. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And this verse 23 is one of the most underpreached verses in the Bible. And they exchanged, or they changed, as in they made an exchange. They went to the store, they went to the counter and said, I don't need this, I want to get that. They exchanged the glory of God, the glory of the incorruptible God, into an image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, creeping things. He's talking about idols. And the idols of the ancient world represented all the things that man wanted for himself and for herself. So here's what this whole thing's about. Exchanging the glory of God for inglorious idols. What really exposes this about our, ourselves and to ourselves is how often we are so easily and how often we naturally siphon what God intends for his glory down to things that are just a drop in the bucket. We reduce what is meant for God's glory and we waste it on our own glory. That's what verse 23 is talking about. We reduce what was meant for God's glory and we waste it on our own glory. We do this with our bodies, with our time, with our resources. We do this with everything and everybody around us, don't we? We we worship idols by deciding that our lives are all about something that pales in comparison to God in his kingdom, in his purposes. We bring our lives to an altar of some idol and we make these sacrifices with our words, in our actions, in our investments. Little by little, we wear away what is valuable and wholesome, what is capable of integrity and purpose, and we grind away all of that by exchanging God's will for our own. That's what it means to exchange the glory of God for something else. To exchange God's glory for something that is corruptible. It's taking what was made for God's glory and exchanging it. You can use your life for the glory of God. Oh, but I'm going to go and do this that is not at all for God's glory, but it's for my glory, which is really for my shame. And we think we're so smart and so sophisticated, but all the while we are actually such shells of what we were meant to be. I got to ask you, are you aware that this is kind of the transaction that we, this is the gymnastics that we go through in our minds again and again every day? Are you aware that our most cardinal, heinous sin, our most cardinal, heinous deed of unrighteousness and ungodliness is that we exchange God's glory for something corruptible and something wasteful? Jeremiah the prophet said in verse 11 of chapter 2, Has a nation changed its God, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed or exchanged their glory for that which does not profit. So if you want to know what is the difference in what glorifies God and what glorifies me, what profits the kingdom of God? What profits eternal life? Herein is our unrighteousness and godliness, ungodliness most blatant. We were made by God and made for God, yet we live as if we were made, we live as if we made ourselves and we waste our days away for ourselves. That is our nature. That is our nature. And what this is meant to do is cause us to run to a God who can redeem ourselves before we waste ourselves. 
The only reason that cuts so much is because isn't that every day of our lives? But if you're alive tonight, and if we're hearing this tonight, it means that there is hope. That means God's power towards us is that we might would say, I am tired of pretending like I made myself in, in, in control of my life. I am tired of wasting my days on things that have no profit or gain for eternity. And God is saying to each and every one of us, this is how you find redemption. And even Christians, we need to hear this because we repeat this mistake again and again. And here's the good news. It is the holiness of God that won't let him quit us and give up on us. Do you hear that? God is perfect. And in his perfection, he won't quit trying to clean up the mess. Even though he didn't make it, he owned it. You know how I know he owned it? Because he sent Jesus to die on a cross that he did not deserve to die on. Do you hear that? When Adam and Eve spilled, knocked the whole cupboard over and made a mess in the garden, God did not say, let's start over. God said, I've got to clean this mess up. Even though it wasn't his mess. But what do you do? I've learned this. What do you do when you're incompetent, incapable children? Make a mess. You might nudge them and say, hey, can you help me? But when they're laying on their back screaming without the ability to even talk, you make a decision. Somebody's got to clean the mess up. And it's the love of God that drove him to do what none of us would do if you had the power to make somebody else with the flick of your fingers. God is perfect, but the opposite of tr is true of us. In our sin and in our unholiness and ungodliness, we resist and reject his truth. And if we resist and reject his truth again and again, verse 24 and 25 are fulfilled in us and over us again and again. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. I like it that Paul just kind of drops some worship in there before he moves on. Humanity as a whole, God, and this is speaking from, from Eden to the cross, God says, you know what? I can't stop them. He's turned them loose. And they send, and they send some more, and they send again, and they send again and again and again. And they gave themselves over, and they dishonored their bodies again and again in their lives, and they exchanged the truth of God, the truth that, hey, God made us, and we're accountable to him. They exchanged that for a lie, and we do the same thing, don't we? They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So what does Paul reveal to us is the answer. Worshiping God is how we break the cycle. Choosing to weekly, daily, hourly honor God with our lives. Reject autonomy. Reject self-sufficiency. Confess your unrighteousness. Confess your ungodliness. You see, the fall happened after Adam and Eve refused to fall before God naturally. Do you understand that? That the fall happened because they did not fall before God in worship. 
They entered a fallen state of unrighteousness and ungodliness because the posture stemmed from a place of pride and uncooperation. If we remain in our pride, we will remain fallen forever. And that's what Paul is describing here, humanity. to just continue to fall and fall and fall and fall again. Falls all over itself, trips over itself, makes a mess again and again. If we remain in our pride, we will fall again and again and again and again. But if we realize our condition, if we choose to fall before God, then in our humility we can be raised up forever. We can be saved, made right with God, made righteous in Christ, restored to peace, purity, and power, not because we fix ourselves, but in spite of ourselves. So I want to ask you a question, and we'll get into the rest of this chapter in chapter 2 next week. I want to ask you a question. Is your life telling a story of the creature worshiping the creator or a story of the creature playing creator? Because that's the different paths. In our flesh, we do the, the latter. In our flesh, we play as if we made it, we control it, and we own it. But the way to break the cycle is for the creature to stop and realize who am I fooling? I didn't, this isn't my operation. Why would I believe that lie? Who would believe that delusion? But we do, don't we? Creature playing creator or creature worshiping creator. That's how you break the cycle because that's what these people kept doing and doing and doing. That's what we keep doing and doing and doing. The difference between righteous and unrighteous, between the two potential falling conditions, is that we can either fall before him tonight and declare that he is God and that he is the one who saves and that he is the one who can redeem or we can continue to, in our pride, stand in front of him and say, I don't see anything wrong. Oh, that we would fall before him tonight and be cleansed from our sin and made new in Christ. Oh, that we would quit exchanging what is glorious for what is cheap and inglorious. And we might begin to see what is unrighteous made righteous. It's through the power of Jesus that you can break the cycle of humanity, the cycle of sin, the cycle of the fall. As everybody continues to stumble, you, through the grace of God, can take a step and begin to rise up and make things as God intended them to be. Church, I enjoyed teaching through this tonight. I hope you enjoyed getting into God's word. Let's pray that God make it personal and make it stick on our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. It is so awesome and it's so true and that's what makes it so convicting but also so refreshing. God, thank you for these people that have come tonight hungry for your word. And I pray that you would just spark that taste and that interest for more. Lord, your word is so true and so good and so so important for us to be able to break out of this sinful nature and these chains. Lord, would you speak to us tonight from your word and by your spirit, and would you give us the ability uh, to accept what is true about our sin, but embrace what is made possible by your grace. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you that you can take what is unrighteous and make it right and whole again. And would you do that in our hearts? again and again. We ask this in Jesus' name.